Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Tech Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, as well as our show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app, we keep you up to date with all things tech every day with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free right now at techcentral.ie. Joining me as always is our Editor-in-Chief at Tech Central HQ, Niall Kitson. A quick look at the news stories this week and then also uh, something that was the very first internet amazing interview coming for you in around about 10 minutes time but i suppose kind of it's going from the first internet that we were looking at in the in the late 70s now we're looking to 2040 because there's big news this week about electric cars yeah, and this affects you an awful lot more than it affects me, seeing as you're a motorist and all that kind of cotology. Um, it looks like England is looking to phase out cars powered by fossil fuels by 2040. Um, now, this follows on from a similar announcement in France. Well, do you remember what year they were they were pitching at? I think they were shooting for for 2040 as well. And, and Norway is another country that were going to do it. And I think they were shooting for 2025 or 2030 or something. Okay, right. So uh, quite ambitious targets, really, when you look at it. I mean, you know, to, uh, 13 years time, I mean, to, to reinvigorate an entire industry is, mm. is, it would be quite an achievement. Um, so from your perspective, um, I guess electric cars at the moment, more efficient, more, more, makes more sense to rent them than to buy them right now, I think it's fair to say. Uh, yeah, uh, yes, or the, the, I mean, there's all kinds of deals and, uh, that you get when you buy an electric car as well. And then also remember, I think in Ireland with an electric car, you don't pay any road tax. It's one of the, uh, incentives. Um, does it work out price wise? I think the price of electric cars is getting better, but it is probably more expensive than a petrol car at the moment. But the price is dropping and they definitely are becoming more affordable. Uh, if you were able to rent one as well, I would highly recommend because they are great fun. Okay. Well, and when you say great fun, I mean, uh, when you're talking about, are, are you talking about performance, noise or speed or, or what's the deal? Well, I, I would do a lot of work in uh, France. So I'm there regularly. Uh, and they have a car rental scheme in, uh, in Nice where you can rent an electric car by the hour. Uh, and because I don't have a car there, I would, I would just rent this thing whenever, whenever I need it. I find it actually kind of as zippy as a petrol car would be. I find it exactly the same as a petrol car would be actually for doing city driving. The only problem I have with it is because it's so quiet, pedestrians don't hear me coming. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. That's, that's an important thing. Uh, that is an important thing. And the other thing is kind of you forget that when you're driving, you're kind of going, can't you see me? <laughs> <laughs> which I is a thing. I can't. Yeah. Um, my folks uh, uh, came down with me for, for a trip there a while ago and uh, and I took the car out for, for a little bit just to see so they could see what it was like and they were hugely impressed because it just looks like you get it. Everybody talks about electric cars. It's like, oh, I wonder what they're like. And actually, when you sit into one of these things, it's like a normal car. Oh, quel surprise. Um, yeah. And when you drive it, you drive it just like a normal car and it operates just like a normal car. The only thing that worries me is that the range on the, on the cars that I would have, which are kind of, uh, uh, I think they're Renault cars are kind of about a hundred or 120 kilometers before you need to recharge. 
Okay, and that that would be, I think, where a lot of people's concerns would be coming in is the infrastructure to actually support them. I mean, around around where we work in Stillorgan, um, there's a, a park and ride centre and there's a, a charging point there. Uh, I know some train stations have uh, charging points as well, very much sort of catering to the park and ride um, audience, I guess, uh, uh, if you want to put it that way. Um, and I think that is the concern that you can be bombing along the motorway and all of a sudden your battery can go low and that's it, you're you're done. Well, um, equally, you could be bombing along the motorway and run out of petrol. So that's just a, a thing to be aware of. Um, I think kind of what we're looking at here really is, there's this whole announcement about electric cars and everybody going, oh my God, everything's going to change. This is going to be terrible. I recall back to Serview when we were going from analog television to digital television, all right? Now, a completely much smaller kind of a, a thing, if you like. But what they did was they said, okay, we're moving to digital television because it's far more uh, effective with uh, frequency allocations and also people get a better quality signal and we're able to put out more television stations. Um, so we are going to introduce this in 2012. Now, all of a sudden, retailers and manufacturers have got a date where they know people are going to need this particular product. And yeah. because they're able to ramp up the manufacturing and and to actually have a market there, it tumbles down the price of the boxes that you would plug into your TV. And now you're getting a, a Serview box for 20, 30, 40 quid or something like that. You plug it in and, and off you go. I think the same thing is going to happen with electric cars, where they're going to say, all right, 2040 is going to be our date. So now these car manufacturers who think, you know, 10, 15 years advance are, are thinking, OK, we need to put a lot more investment and thought uh, and energy into batteries and electric cars and how to make them even more efficient. Uh, cities and authorities will think, OK, well, we need electric charging posts. How are we going to do this? Do we make every parking meter in the city have a plug in it? Uh, how do you pay for that electricity? Do you know what I mean? All these things start getting talked about and then they start getting worked on and then they start getting rolled out. And by the time you know it, in 2040, which is still 25 years away, roughly, everything is in place. Well, it's slightly less than that. But yeah, um, I think, yeah, infrastructure is is the big thing, really. I mean, it, once you start including charging points in, um, you know, rest stops, big service stations, that sort of thing, um, there will be the minds, the, you know, the mind switch, the mind set will switch. Mm. And I think that's it. it's very good that the authorities have sat down and they've said, OK, we have a target date to do this by, because then that focuses everybody uh, on that. I mean, we had that problem with uh, with uh, DAB, which RT wanted to bring in at, at one stage, and it hasn't really kind of got off the ground in Ireland, unfortunately. But one of the things that everybody's agreed on is that if the Irish government turned around and said, all right, well, we wanted all radio to be digital like we did with television, well, it would just work. So I think the same thing is with electric cars. When you turn around and you say, we want electric cars to be in place by 2040 it will just work yep yep it's like anything else you just need a plan now the speaking of things that uh, going from things that do work to things that don't work we have two terrible deaths to report this week <laughs> adobe flash and microsoft paint Okay, well, one death and one resurrection. Okay, so so let's talk about death first. Um, Adobe Flash 2020, that is the cutoff point, after which point Flash Player will not be updated. Adobe Flash will officially be a dead technology. Of course, you know, if you want to view websites that still use Flash, if there are any still out there, you can with the with the um, current or oldest version of uh, Flash Player. 
I guess, newest version of Flash Player come 2020. Mm. But of course, you know, it's it'll be a security nightmare and nobody really will be updating it. So, yeah, bye bye Flash. I, I, the writing was on the wall since 2007 when the iPhone came out and went, yeah, actually, we're not, we're not going to deal with Flash. And everyone was, what? It's not going to deal with Flash. The sky is falling. This will never catch on. Apple, it's a disaster. And uh, of course, the iPhone pushed things forwards and embraced open standards like HTML5. And people were like, ah, do you know what? This this stuff is actually mm. pretty good. Maybe maybe we don't need Flash so much. And now we're getting to the stage where we don't need Flash at all. It's also, I think, another reminder of how things work with the Internet. Because Flash was used on like 98% of media uh, on the Internet at one stage. And now, was, yeah. and now they're saying that it's gone. Uh, Yahoo was the search engine to be seen on. Uh, Netscape was the internet browser that you would use. <laughs> and all mm-hmm. these things kind of, they come, they take over, everybody uses them, and then bam, something else comes along and takes over. So I wonder how long it'll be before HTML5 uh, uh, lasts on that. Uh, what about Microsoft Paint? Because when they announced that they were going to uh, stop distributing that or that they were going to kill it off, there was uproar. Yeah, well, it, it was kind of done by the back door, really. Paint was put on a list of what they call deprecated sort of software. It's sort of things that are on the way out. Uh, have, hasn't been quite killed, but are on the way out. And I think 2020 was set uh, as sort of the cutoff date for, for that as well. And uh, the huge... Um, outpouring of grief from uh, PC users everywhere and Microsoft said oh okay look Paint and Paint 3D which is the, the version that's going to be pushed with uh, Creators Update this autumn um, we're like okay right the two can live side by side and you know what Paint can live on maybe as a downloadable app or something like that so look you know if you if you want it it's still going to be there but this is kind of the direction we want to go in um, Dusty as a user of PCs when was the last time you used MS Paint? Uh, probably a lot more recent than I would think because it's very handy for uh, grabbing something off the web, uh, web and, 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 and saving as a bitmap or something like that. Um, but that said, it's not, it hasn't been in the last couple of months that I can remember. I, I wouldn't use paint. I don't even know why they, why they have it. It looks like a really amateurish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. piece of software to me. But it's, I would say a lot of people use it as a very interesting utility. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have an awful lot of uh, sympathy for MS Paint, as you said itself. It's it's a very old and dated piece of technology. And, you know, clearly Microsoft want to go in a direction that relies on 3D imaging uh, because they want to get more apps together for HoloLens when it eventually sees the consumer market. So I can understand completely where Microsoft is, is going. And, you know, it's not like people pay for Paint. You know, they, there are alternatives out there like Paint.net. Um, or, you know, if you're into photo manipulation, uh, that sort of thing, you've got um, open source programs like GIMP, which granted they're not terribly easy to get the hang of, but they're out there. Um, there are a few web apps as well that w- that will do that job. And of course, if you want to go top line, there's uh, Adobe Creative Cloud, but I, I'm not sure what the subscription rates like that are at the moment. Not cheap, I imagine. But I, this is a little used app. I mean, the, the only reason they would they would say we're, we're yanking this is if the user numbers were falling off the cliff. Uh, if this was something that was consistently popular, uh, it would be kept on, I am sure. Absolutely. Do you know what? I've noticed there's a one thing that all of our three news stories today have in common is that they are all setting down dates and planning for the future. And why not? Electric cars, uh, one date, we're going to get rid of this on another date and stuff like that. And why not, as you say? All right, listen, now, thanks for keep, keeping us up to date with the news. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Tech Central.
1988, a little device appeared with Gay Byrne on the Late Late Show that we were all told was going to be the future of telecommunications in Ireland. It was a massive success in France and it was something that in the late 70s was kind of like a very early version of the internet. Now, for some reason, it didn't quite turn out to be the success that they were hoping it would be and pretty much soon after Minitel entered the Irish market, it was gone again. But why? Niall Kitson spoke to Tech Archives founder John Stern and got the amazing inside story. In 1978, a little device appeared in Brittany that would allow you to um, send email. It allowed you to book reservations on a train, check your stock prices, maybe buy a few things. Um, And it also served as a telephone directory. Um, All these things sound particularly useful and uh, the device had the full name of the Medium Interactif par Numeration d'Information Telephonique, or Interactive Medium by Digitalizing Telephone Information, or as it came to be known uh, for short, the Minitel. Um, now, the Minitel enjoyed a period of sustained uh, success in France, and the, the network that it ran on was only switched off in 2017. So, in France, the Minitel became very much part of the telecommunications landscape. It was just something that people used. It was like a, a little laptop um, that could serve uh, sort of as a, an adjunct to your telephone. Um, however, you know, its popularity didn't quite transfer uh, across the world for various reasons. And to explain why, uh, I'm joined by John Stern who is the founder of TechArchives.Irish, which is kind of the story of technology in Ireland going back for as long as anyone cares to remember, I think the 1950s uh, at this stage. So, John, let's jump in and talk about the Minitel, the the Irish experience, if you will. And I guess it was almost an Irish solution to a European solution, if you will, if you look at the STAR programme, which kind of kicked off the story here. You can go right back to the early 1980s, in fact, in Ireland, because uh, Minitel was one flavour of um, videotechs. There were a lot of different videotech standards. just meant uh, a, a standard way of, of putting colours text onto a screen, usually a television screen. Um, but there were people developing videotech services in Ireland almost from around the same time as, as Minitel began in France. problem was they all failed, or they all had uh, extremely low take-up rates. Um, there was no coordination. They used different technologies. They they had um, uh, uh, completely different um, uh, business philosophies behind them. Uh, so none of them took off. And by the time you get to the late eighties, say exactly thirty years ago, uh, it was clear that something else would have to be done to develop information-based services on any kind of significant scale in this country. Um, at which point uh, an EU programme called STAR becomes very relevant. Um, STAR was was supported by the European Regional Development Fund, which gave money to what they called less less favoured regions. Now, the whole of Ireland was a less favoured region. Um, And the purpose of STAR was to introduce what they called advanced telecommunications into less favoured regions. Uh, the implementation plan for Star was divided by between two organisations. Telecom Ireland took some money and went off and built infrastructure, but the rest went to the National Board for Science and Technology. So really, the story of Minitel in Ireland begins in around about late 86, early 87, in the National Board for Science and Technology. And in particular, it begins with a man called Mel Healy, 
who was the, um, the head of information technologies in the NBST. Um, Mel was a visionary uh, with a, an interest in futurology. I mean, he was the kind of guy who would go, go off to conferences and discuss how the, how the world might be in the future. Um, and he was new to the job of information technology manager, and he sees the opportunity to do something interesting with Star. What Star became was, in fact, uh, an, a uniquely Irish chapter of the internet origin story and the, the, the uh, attempt to establish a Minitel service in Ireland was part of that story. So when we're looking at the establishment of Minitel, it sounds almost like this was money that became invested in a proto-fibre network, if you will, you know, a network that was intended for data as opposed to, um, you know, relative, um, you know, voice calling. Would that be a fair uh, appraisal? I think the, the star plan was not based on networks. It was, it was based on a grand concept. Um, the grand concept was that there should be a gateway that some kind of information device could literally dial into and have a menu of different information services available. Now, we have search engines today, but this was uh, was quite a, 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 an exotic concept in, in 1987. So 30 years ago in the MBST, um, there was, a, there was a, a plan put together to create gateways that many different types of information service could use so that people with a single point of access could get information from all kinds of places. And if you looked around the world to see what else existed and what else could do that, Minitel was one of the better examples. So that's how Minitel became part of the, the Irish Star Plan. But when the Star Program was launched, which was in the autumn of, of um, 1987, uh, Minitel wasn't mentioned. What was mentioned were, were, were uh, two components called the BIN and the TIN, uh, the Business Information Network and the Tourism Information Network. So the idea being that there would be uh, sort of two gateways to bunches of information services, um, but nobody was quite sure how they were going to be delivered yet. And uh, it sounds like pretty much the, the missing link to it is consumer information. And you, you could imagine things like, you know, maybe financial services becoming very enamored of a, a secure line or, you know, a network without an awful lot going on on it for, you know, securing transactions, that kind of thing. Uh, or perhaps tourism as a way of, I don't know, maybe selling selling Ireland or maybe some you've got people actually visiting the country looking for information. But for the rest of us, was there any kind of usage model in mind? Not really. I think the assumption was that, that business and tourism would, would get to a lot of people eventually. Uh, so they were, they were the, 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 the two big themes. And there was no, there was no concept of a network under there. Uh, I mean, there was, there was the, the, the telephone network, which could also handle data. And uh, there were the first moves being made towards creating um, networks specifically for data. Um, but uh, I think the idea was, you know, we'll build something and people will come. And, and the, the important thing was just to, to get the awareness out there that it didn't have to be a dead end that there was going to be a, 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 an infrastructure in which people could plan for the future and build something for the future um, let's talk about how the Minitel model was, was selected um, as I said the MBST people had a grand plan and uh, they 
found Minitel as a proven example, but they weren't necessarily keen on having the dedicated terminals. They weren't necessarily uh, keen on uh, having it uh, coordinated by the National Telephone Company, as it had been in France. But the, the, it was the concept that appealed. So they had to find so, some way of making that happen. Um, so Mel Healy left the National Board of Science Technology and set up um, a, an organisation called Videotel. Um, it was an organisation that was also a research project and uh, a, a large block of the star funding was given to Videotel. And he brought in large organisations like banks and um, newspaper groups and uh, supermarket chains. And to front it, he brought in Mike Murphy, who was well known from RT. Um, so Videotel took up the, 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 the Minitel challenge and, try, and tried to make something happen. Um, based on this concept of, of an information gateway, but trying to see what could be brought over from France to make it work. So by the time we get to the end of the, of the 1980s, this, this, this plan is taking shape uh, inside the Videotel Aaron Consortium. Um, what happened next was that um, corporate interests took charge. And uh, somehow uh, Mel was edged out of the project. So when the time came to build something, uh, there was a totally different group of people in charge. With their own set of expectations, really, as well, because uh, uh, from what I gather, uh, they were somewhat maybe ambitious, to say the least. Um, They envisaged a large-scale national prestige project. They didn't understand where it was coming from and they didn't understand where it could go. Um, They brought in uh, people from France who knew the very specific technical aspects of running um, a mini-tail infrastructure. Uh, They brought in marketing people who are great at publicity and and generating hype or something. Um, They they brought in a chief executive who had previously launched the National Lottery. Um, But the vision was gone. And uh, and they uh, really didn't think through the fact that information services work when they grow from the bottom up rather than when they are mandated from the top down. It's a fundamental mistake. And of course, there were different things happening at the same time as well. I mean, Minitel had years to establish itself in France and just become part of the landscape. It was, you know, when you're parachuting it into to a, a country that isn't aware of the technology, but is actually on the cusp of adopting something much simpler and uh, much more popular on a global scale. Um, was that lack of vision um, exposed very quickly? Let's look at the, um, uh, the objectives of, of the Minitel project. A company called Minitel Communications was eventually formed. Uh, and in 1990, it envisaged that it would have 10,000 users in the first year and another 20,000, a total of 30,000 after two years. So that, that, that was the grand plan. Um, it needed a variety of services, but instead of looking at the people who had some understanding of how to grow services, they went to large organisations and said, here's a new way you can make some money, we'll help you to build a service. Um, and, and by the way, uh, you need to be looking at um, an investment of at least uh, a quarter of a million old pounds. 
Um, so that was the way they approached it. Uh, very ambitious targets, very high startup costs, and probably dealing with the wrong type of information and service provider. Which is pretty much the absolute inverse of what we look at now with the, the app economy, where you have telecommunications devices and they're thrown open to the developer community straight away with the, with the knowledge that, look, you guys find something to do with this that we haven't thought of. And it will bring people to the device. We'll be able to make money off services. You'll be able to make money off your applications. I mean, this thinking, um, it was pretty much the complete inverse to that. It probably was. And let's look at the timing. The Minitel system in Ireland went live finally uh, in the first half of 1991. That was exactly the first, the, the same time as the first internet connection was made. So while there was a lot of publicity about this grand plan to build Minitel Ireland, uh, there was absolutely no publicity for a little company in the O'Reilly Institute in Trinity that was actually building the internet. Uh, these things coincided precisely. It was, it was some kind of poetic justice at play here. Um, so Minitel launched and pretty quickly became apparent that it had made some mistakes. They should never have pushed the, the dedicated small screen terminals. They should have encouraged people to use their own, their own personal computers to access the service. Uh, they should never have depended on the, on the big financial institutions and retailers. They should, they should have looked at all the, uh, the, the, the smaller and community-based organizations that were trying to develop some kind of online information exchange. But they went at it from the wrong direction. And uh, slowly but surely, coming from the opposite direction, uh, the internet stole its thunder completely by the mid, by the mid 1990s. And when we're looking at those iconic small terminals, um, I guess uh, you say that you know making it accessible via computers was the, was the way to go. But I guess when they're bringing in hardware that they know has been proven, uh, but that said, that hardware on its own wasn't cheap. I mean, you you had to pay for it. You had to pay for it, and. Um, I think there's an assumption that many, the media organization could, could make money by selling them. And certainly the, the, the manufacturers were, were led to believe there would be a minimum number of units required. So the, the, the dedicated terminal was a big part of the business plan. It was a wrong part of the business plan. So uh, in France, you know, the experience there had been just to distribute these things wholesale on the assumption that they would be able to cut back on the physical number of phone books that, that was being printed. So, um, you know, you would have, OK, the yellow pages would still be a premium thing, but uh, the white pages would be free to, to service. And eventually that would cover the cost of the of the device over time. But that really wasn't considered over here. What happened in France was was completely different. Remember, and remember, it also happened significantly earlier. Um, what happened in France was that there was a real requirement for telephone numbers. People found it very difficult to get somebody else's telephone number. And by a happy accident, the uh, the Minitel technology, when it appeared, and it was driven by the phone company, met that need, and other things grew up on the side of it. Uh, that happened in the early 80s when there were other parallel experiments going on going on here, but there wasn't the same um, uh, single large-scale need that, that emerged in France, as I say, almost by accident. Uh, and of course, some of the services that um, the internet grew popular for over here had already been going on in France, but they just they found a completely different home. I, I'm thinking of you know message boards, which are which are still sort of a mainstay of the internet. Yeah, um, I think that a lot of people in the late eighties, early nineties started to look at ways of making information services happen in different in, in, in different forms. 
and uh, most of them looked at, at Video Texas at some stage, most of them looked at, at the Minitel Ireland project at some stage, but they also gradually became aware that, internet, that the internet um, technology offered a much better alternative. And remember, it wasn't centralised in the same way as Minitel would have, would, would, would have to have been. It was vastly more attractive. Having said that, a lot of the, the business organisations, a lot of the um, professional bodies, a lot of the, the government services that... Um, were half convinced by Minitel at, at its peak, uh, used the thinking that, that, that had gone on around Minitel and applied it later on on the internet. Uh, so it, it kind of meant that um, things were already up and running in terms of understanding of information services when, mini, when internet usage started to explode and suddenly people were available to use those services. So what kind of uh, lessons do do we actually pick up from the Minitel experience? Uh, is it a case of, you know, management? Is it a case of regulation? Is it a case of device selection? Is it a case of engaging the consumer? Is it a mix of these things? I think the overriding lesson is that uh, top-down national plans are often flawed by being top-down. And uh, also it begs the question, there is this network out there, what, what happened to it? Um, it became subsumed into Telecom Erin, uh, which merged it with some of its other in- information services, most of whom, in- most of which incidentally had been um, uh, set up with, uh, with Star Funding, um, but gradually became part of, of, of a family of uh, not very widely used Telecom Erin information services in the mid-1990s. So it's kind of um, maybe not lying in state, um, I can't remember when it was switched off, but uh, there was certainly no fuss, no ceremony. <laughs> and that was Niall Kitson talking with John Stern. Now, if you want to find out more about the story of technology in Ireland in general, you should definitely check out Tech Archives online. It's techarchives.irish. And if you have a story of your own to share, you can email John directly at Tech archives irish at gmail.com Niall is uh, still with us just before we go Niall what's our one more thing the one story on our website we couldn't squeeze into the podcast yeah well something I think you'll find very interesting we're, we're all very familiar with these wonderful offices that Google Facebook and you know Slack recently Dropbox as well all these multinationals like to pimp out as you know the, these are wonderful places to work but are millennials actually buying into that idea what you you mean? There's a possibility that millennials aren't buying into the fact that they can sleep at work or play pool. <laughs> oh my God! You can check that out at techcentral.ie, along with all the Irish tech news, with hourly updates, daily newsletters, and more. As I say, techcentral.ie, as well as our weekly tech radio show online and broadcast every Friday at six on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio One Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Niall Kitson. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.